The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company. Handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com. Welcome to The Howler. Your weekly look into the state of Wolfpack Athletics. Now let's go to your hosts, Chris Lehman and Drew Blevins. Welcome back to The Howler. Chris Lehman and Nick Sinopoli with the head coach of the men's golf team, Richard Sykes, in his 45th season here at NC State as the coach, a four-time ACC Coach of the Year, inducted into the Coaches Hall of Fame by the Golf Coaches Association of America in 2001. Coach, great to have you with us on The Howler. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, first I want to talk to you about your most recent win this past weekend. You actually host the tournament at Lonnie Pool. It's the Wolfpack Spring Intercollegiate, and you clear the field, I believe, by eight strokes with a, a great performance from David Cook, who went minus 15, his best three-round score. Uh, what are your thoughts on how the weekend went? Because it sounds like it was pretty good for the Wolfpack. Well, I guess you just said, you know, we won and he won. I guess those are two things that are very key. It was a great weekend for us. It was a successful tournament, and the teams that came really liked the, the venue, and uh, and we had great weather. I don't guess you could ask much more than that. Uh, so uh, uh, aside from Cook, was there anyone else that you had a really strong performances out of or anyone that surprised you a little bit? Uh, not a surprise. Stephen Franklin played quite well. I think he finished third. But he's been playing well all spring. He's been a, He's had a, a really nice freshman year. Right, and now this is, as I mentioned, your 45th season coaching this golf team. You've been around golf for a long time, and a lot of people get into golf for a lot of different reasons. So, could you talk a little bit about what you, uh, what got you into golf, and what you enjoy about the sport? Gosh, that's, I've been playing golf since I was six years old. It's very challenging. I've been, I never have conquered it. I've been, I've tried. I don't think anybody else ever has conquered it. Maybe for a day sometimes, but. Uh, I wanted to coach something when I was growing up. I always thought I was going to be a football coach or a basketball coach. and I ended up gravitating to golf, not thinking I was going to be a golf coach. It's just what I wanted to do. And I played golf in state for a year. And then when I turned pro at RGA, the team was playing there, and I got a chance to help with them, and it just kind of stayed. Yes, Coach, this is Nick Sinopoli alongside Chris Lehman. I have a couple questions for you as well. You were talking yeah. about playing on the golf team at NC State, and I was reading your bio on GoPack.com, and I was curious what in- what um, really piqued your interest in uh, joining the varsity golf team. I saw that you were also on the freshman track team as well. So if you could just talk a little bit about really why you decided to switch over to golf. Well, I tried out for freshman football, and I hurt my knee. So I took care of track. <laughs> and I was a sprinter. And I've been playing golf all my life, and I never played. When I was in high school, they didn't have a high school golf team. Oh, okay. So I saw a chance to try to play on the golf team, so I went out there and made a team. Heck, sure. I've been, I've, been, I've been playing golf a long time. Sure sounds like it worked out for you, Coach. <laughs> yeah, it worked out pretty good, I'd say. Uh, so you've obviously, having played so so long, you've played a lot of rounds, a lot of different courses. What's your favorite course to play uh, when you get a chance to just go out and play around for yourself? Gosh, I grew up in a little course here in Wendell, North Carolina. Called, it was called Lakeside Country Club, and it's called Wendell Country Club. And it's just a club in the country. But I've been playing that since I was a little kid. really enjoy it. So it, it would not be a place that it's not on your tourist thing. People wouldn't be stopping over to go play. But I've had a good time playing there, and I'd praise to say I did enjoy that the most of all. 
right, Ed. Now, there's one other thing here uh, that's kind of outside of NC State golf that I want to talk about with you. Uh, obviously, yeah. with the Masters having just occurred, I'm sure yeah, you know what this question will be, and I'm sure you've talked about it a lot with the the way that Jordan Spieth kind of collapsed at the end of, of the Masters in the final round. Uh, I wanted to talk to you from your uh, from a coach's perspective, what you saw with Jordan Spieth. I mean, obviously, he's usually very mentally tough and known to really be good at responding in those situations. Uh, what did you see at the end of his round as a coach? Well, he just made a bad shot on 12. You know, you can't miss right, you can't miss short, and he missed both of them. And then I think he was kind of shook up that that happened to him, and maybe his thought pattern wasn't correct when he got ready to his next shot because he really hit he really hit a terrible shot. But other than that, I thought he came back finally, birdied the next hole, and he had good chances for birdies all the way around. So I never have considered a collapse. If it was a bad shot at the wrong time, if it hit the same shot on 16 of those holes out there, he would have made it worse to bogey. He just had to be at the wrong time, wrong shot. Okay, go, Coach, going off of that, um, did you use the uh, performance by Jordan Spieth to kind of teach a lesson to your team on how to respond when the pressure is on or how to adapt when something doesn't go your way on the course? No, we really haven't talked about that much. You know, the kids that sit around the team room talking about all the golf course, they all want to be tour professionals, so they're watching it all the time. And the Masters, everybody watches it full time. But, you know, we've talked about it enough during the years. And this year of when you can make mistakes, how you make it, and how you, if, you, if you're not sure of something, play the shot you're sure of. So, and we're still learning. I mean, we're talking about kids that are in their stages of, development that uh like david cook's gonna be a great professional but you know he's still learning like everybody else right right now going into the acc championship in new london north carolina this upcoming weekend what are your plans on uh preparations for the team going to that and uh any words of wisdom for them well the nicest preparation we have is, is actually playing at lonnie pool golf course our fairway is a little more generous than there but the ball's gonna run on the fairways about the same flies are gonna be about the same and our greens have been fantastic, and they'll be about the same out there. So we've had some experience with it. You need to be a really good short game out there. And that's what we're going to concentrate on. All right. And now with this course being in North Carolina, do you as a team have any experience being there or as, as a coach, something that you've seen uh, if you've been there before that you could pass along to, to players who have Well, we play there every year, but we're not allowed to play there any other time because it's unfair to the schools and in other states so we haven't played it since the last round of last year's tournament and the new guys would be their first time there so playing there every year the teams that are stimulating they have a little bit of opportunity because they've played it two three times all right. Um, now, I want to take a talk a little bit about what your role is as a coach and a little bit about what's behind the scenes for uh, some of these golfers as Division One athletes uh, here at NC State. Uh, so first of all, I was actually driving by the course this past week and all the tournament was going on and was able to see a little bit of it. And it looks like I'm not as familiar with the, the structure of the tournament, but the players carrying their own bags, walking, and a coach driving along with them. Uh, what do you do during the the round uh, to coach your players and watch them because you know an 18-hole golf course is a lot different than uh, a football field where you can see everybody. Well, you know, you try to get around each one, but in most instances, my sister coach will have one guy to walk with, and I'll have a guy to walk with. And sometimes we stay with them the whole time. We have no idea, 
you know, they have live scores, so you can look at the thing and tell what's going on. But, you know, pretty much after you get them out, there's not much you do. If you can help them, we're allowed to talk to them. We're allowed to help them line up putts. We're allowed to do a lot of other things. But in our case, we don't do much of that. We spend more time with one person. This week, I was everywhere because we were hosting. And I spent less time on the course with the players than I normally do. So during this weekend, um, uh, David Cook and Stephen Franken obviously played incredible. Uh, I'd like to switch a little bit over to Stephen Franken, the freshman. What are your thoughts on him this season? He has been one of the most consistent golfers for the Wolfpack. He shot 67, 69, 69, an overall score of 205, 8 under this weekend. What are your thoughts of him this season? You know, Stephen's been playing like that all year, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. He's been playing, he's been playing great. He said, he had a, a bad round in Puerto Rico the first round, which is our first round of the fall of the spring. And his first round of the, his collegiate career, I think was a 77 in the Lonnie Pool tournament in the fall. That included 11 on the 18th hole. So you can see it was actually a pretty good round. And other than that, he's played really good. And he, he, he showed that as a junior player, he kept getting better and better and better. And I watched him for, several years and um, I couldn't be any more excited for him because he's he's really worked hard and the work's paying off uh, okay now we we've talked mostly about you know coaching within the round and that sort of stuff but what do you do with your team during the week when you guys aren't playing rounds and what kind of schedule do these players keep well uh, a normal week for us would be Monday would be off Tuesday would be workouts at 6 30 in the morning to 7.30, quarter to 8. Then Tuesday afternoon, we'd be practicing our short game area over to the faculty club for two hours. And then uh, Wednesday would be a, a swing day where if we don't get to play on a Saturday or Sunday, we'd use Wednesday. And then we, uh, so we'd play bit Wednesdays and Fridays or Saturday and Sunday. And Thursday would be the same as Tuesday. You know, they only have a 20 hours at that without practice with them. So they spend a lot of time on their own practice. Okay, now, uh, obviously, if you play one course all the time, you, there are other courses that offer different challenges and can help you work on other aspects of your game. Yeah. So outside yeah, of we, Lonnie Poole, what courses do you play around here? Well, we've been quite fortunate to play a lot of different courses in Toronto. We've, we, we've played Prestonwood, we've played McGregor Downs, we've played Heritage, we play over at Northridge. You know, we call around, and, and most of the clubs are, are allow us to come at different times, so it works out pretty good for us. And we play other ones, but just off the top of my head, just not sure which ones I'm. Now, going over on uh, transitioning to a broader spectrum, you've coached some incredible athletes over the years. I'm reading te- reading players like Tim Clark, Carl Peterson, Mark Ternesa, uh, Garth Mulroy. Um, what a, what is uh, some of your favorite moments over the years you coached for 45 years for the Wolfpack what are some of your favorite moments you know varying from you know NCAA championship with Matt Hill to uh just anything just you know just being around good players and watching them and hear what they want to do hear, hear them talk about their dreams and then watch them attain it that's that's the most important thing that's the thing that gives you the, the your heart swells up when it's, it's fantastic that way and to see Tim Clark coming from South Africa you know, he wanted, he, he used to get up in the middle of the night to watch the Masters. Loved it, loved it, loved it. He came here, and the second year he was here, he played in the Masters. I mean, those those things, you know, you can't even make that up. So that's been pretty special to me. And then, obviously, Matt Hill, the, the year he had winning eight tournaments, winning the national championship, that's just special. 
Okay, and one final question for you here, Coach, as we wrap this up. Chris Lehman, Nick Sinopoli on the Howler with the head coach of the men's golf team, Coach Richard Sykes. Uh, coach, uh, what are your expectations going into this weekend and uh, with the ACC tournament? Uh, looking at some of your tournaments, you play a good amount of ACC teams. Do you see all of them before you get to this ACC tournament, and what do you expect out of them mm. and your team? Uh, I think we see most all of them in competition, yes. And, uh, you know, sometimes some weeks they're playing great and we're not. Some weeks we're playing great, they're not. You know, it all comes down to the one week of the year. And who's got the hot hand? There's a lot of good teams. None of the teams here will make it to the NCAA championship. So there's a lot of good teams. There's some of them that play better consistently than others. But, you know, we've shot. 2,500 in the States for Georgia, 2,100 here, 1,900 in Iowa. If we can duplicate those kind of that kind of play, we'll be right there at the end. All right, Coach, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you, Coach. Thank you. All right, we are going to take our break, but when we return, Drew Blevins will be with Nick and I, and we'll give you the state of Wolfpack Athletics. The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company, handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com. Hi there, everybody, and welcome back to The Howler. Drew Blevins alongside you this time. Chris Lehman has actually had to step out for this portion of it. You just heard from him alongside Nick Sinopoli as they took on the task of interviewing Coach Sykes of the golf team. So instead, I have a different counterpart on the air. So this is going to end up turning into a five-person podcast. I'm joined tonight by Ethan Barry. Ethan, thanks so much for taking the time to be here with us. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So, Ethan, we did just hear about the golf team, and not to overstep them too much, but NC State does have premier golf facilities and a team that is on the rise. Just your general thoughts about them. Well, I mean, if you look at you look at NC State revenue, non-revenue sports across the board since Debbie has gotten here, they've all they've all increased um, in in success, and you you see that with the golf team this year. I mean, they're just literally every non-revenue sport has probably had a successful season. Um, up to this point, and the, the golf team just f- doing the same thing. Well, we are going to start our major conversation here today with what is considered at least to be a non-revenue sport, and that is the baseball team. Ethan, this has been sort of one of your baby teams ever since growing up, as far as I can tell, but uh, this NC State baseball team really went on a hot streak, finished off against Georgia Tech, won that series, but since then has just slumped back into the icy depths of a cold streak right now. They're on a two-game skid after getting shellacked at Georgia Tech and at East Carolina. Just your general thoughts about what's going on there. Well, I, it's been two games. I don't think you can sit here and call it a cold streak. You know, the end of the Georgia Tech game was it was frustrating the way it ended, uh, losing 16-7 to on Sunday. You would have liked to sweep that series, but still winning the series against at Georgia Tech, a top-25 team, you cannot complain about that. Now, the ECU game... You know, we say it every time we play ECU in any sport. It's it's their World Series, it's their Super Bowl, it's whatever it is. So they're going to throw everything at them, at at state that they can to win the game. And and that's what they did. And, you know, they've got a solid club just like they do every year. And state coming off of a, a weekend in Atlanta, coming back, going right back on the road to Greenville. I mean, they just, I mean, I watched some of the game and, just didn't appear to have much energy. And so I, I don't think you can really chalk that up to much other than 
just taking a day off, honestly. Well, I think we also have to insert into this conversation the wild card that has been the pitching rotation for NC State. Joe O'Donnell's been out injured, but Johnny Piedmont has not been pitching well, and he was one of those guys you thought that really could be a driving force on the hill alongside of a guy like Brian Brown. Piedmont, over his past three or four outings, just has not had good quality stuff. And when you look at it, it's those type of streaks that make you worry about the future of NC State baseball, even in this season. If you've only got two or three guys that are going to be able to give you quality starting pitching performances, that's concerning, is it not? Well, I think so. And you, like you said, you've got Brown, and you didn't mention Ryan Williamson, but he's also been a very solid number two guy. And if Joe O'Donnell is able to come back here in the next couple of weeks, I mean, that's a very solid uh, three guys. Going into the postseason, which barring a collapse um, – collapse of epic proportions. NC State will be in the postseason of some um, magnitude. You, you would like either of, you would like a fourth starter to step up, whether it be Corey Wilder or Johnny Piedmont. You know the bullpen. The bullpen can do its job, but you've got to have a fourth starter, whether it's Piedmont, whether it's Corey Wilder. You'd like it to be one of those two. Now, as for Piedmont, you know he's obviously got a great story and. Um, He's battled some injuries this year. He started off, I think he started off pretty well this year. Made a couple of s solid starts and then had some sort of back issue. Missed a couple of starts and now he's come back. And I don't I don't honestly know that he's made it out of the third inning in the last couple, three, four, five weeks. And so you've, I think you got to see if somebody else can step up for you. Corey Wilder did it on Friday night against Georgia Tech, gave you five or six solid innings. And so that, like you said, you know, Somebody's got to step up. Hopefully it's one of those two. Right now it doesn't look like it's going to be Piedmont. Yeah, and I think you do bring up a critical point. If Joe O'Donnell is able to come back and be healthy with good stuff, not great stuff, just good stuff, that's going to put everybody's mind at ease. Corey Wilder has pitched at least well enough to be put into the uh, weekend starting rotation by Elliot Avens' mind, of course, uh, filling in for O'Donnell as a Friday starter, had been in the midweek forever, but... Even when you put this in the scope of going into the postseason, say the situation gets no better, is this a team that can continue to go far? With just with just three starters? No Joe O'Donnell? No Joe O'Donnell I'd, and Johnny Piedmont pitching the way he is. I, I mean, if that were to happen, they would need Corey Wilder to step up and live up to his potential. He's probably got the highest potential out of anybody on the staff. I mean, pro scouts talk about him. If he could control his stuff, he would be he would be the best prospect on this team. And that's with guys like Palmero, Denand, who's not draft eligible, but Kisner, Brian Brown, uh, Williamson, O'Donnell, guys like that. So Wilder could be that third guy, but I still don't know that three guys is enough to win the ACC tournament or win a regional. Now, obviously, it would be enough to win a super regional, but you got to get there first. And so, honestly, if the rotation is as it is right now, I I just can't see them advancing out of a regional unless they just get, you know, very favorable matchup or the bats are on fire one weekend. But I, I don't think that's going to be the rotation. I think O'Donnell's going to come back at some point, and hopefully Piedmont can turn it around. Even if he's not going out there th throwing you six shutout innings, at least if he can give you four one-run innings, something like that. He doesn't have to be, you know, Roger Clemens 2.0 out there. He can just four solid innings is what you need. Well, and let's even step away from the starting role in the mound because that does bring up the question of this bullpen who 
has played well at times and has been sketchy at best at others. I mean, this is a bullpen and a pitching staff in general that just allowed 31 runs over the course of their past two games. Probably not too much cause for panic right now because there wasn't a whole lot to back them up. And in baseball especially, you're allowed to have a bad game every now and then so long as it's not in a critical situation. But there are guys in the bullpen, Will Gilbert, Tommy DeJunis, Austin Staley, Evan Braband, who are coming in and are pitching quality innings at times. Does that at least ease the blow of mediocre starting pitching? Or is that something that maybe you you look to exploit as you move forward and pitch a Johnny Holstaff game? Yeah, you know what I think of when I think of an NC State bullpen is I think you look at the 2013 team that went to the College World Series. They had numerous upperclassmen in the bullpen. They went to the College World Series and honestly could have won. They didn't, but... You know they were they were good enough to win. The next year, all those guys graduated, and they had nothing left. Didn't even sniff the NCAA tournament. Lost lost in the playing game in the ACC tournament. So I think that's how important the bullpen is. And I think this NC State bullpen. I don't think you gave them enough credit. I think they're very good. With Will Gilbert and Tommy DeJunis at the back end, you've got two reliable guys who you know you can go to. And that doesn't even count Sean Adler, uh, Kyle Williams. I think his name is the submarine. Uh, and you've and you mentioned Staley. I mean, th- those are guys that you can go to at any time, and they're going to keep you in a game. Now, I think the wild card is uh, Will Gilbert, who's pitched the most innings. It seems like he pitches in every game. He he came out of the Georgia Tech game with an apparent injury. Did not appear to be a big deal, but if it is, that changes the whole dynamic of the season, regardless of what anything else is going on, because he's probably your most consistent player on on the whole team. I mean, you know what he's going to when you call on him, you know what you're going to get. And it's going to be something good. So if he's out for an extended period, that's that's a big problem, I think. And you did bring up Chris Williams, who is going to be one of those guys that I didn't get the opportunity to mention. And Carl Keglovitz, who has not been the greatest of players in the world, you know, but he has pitched innings. Austin Staley has been impressive, in my opinion, and he's a very, very young guy, a redshirt freshman from Central Wilkes High School. Evan Braband has come in as a sophomore from Wakefield. There are local guys who, as relief pitchers, have come in so far and have been cool, calm, and collected. And they have been batted around a little bit, but they have not lost their confidence. And I think when you're looking at a couple of your middle relievers giving you three and four innings, that's always an encouraging sign, especially when you consider the youthfulness of this bullpen. And then, as you mentioned, you have Gilbert and DeJunis on the back end. Yeah, I, I mean, one thing one thing that you need to take into account with the bullpen is, right now, State has five starters with Brian Brown, O'Donnell, Piedmont, Wilder, and Williamson. You're only going to use four of them come postseason. So that means that either uh, sorry, I'm blanking on uh, Wilder or Piedmont will be available out of the bullpen. I don't know how good they'll be, but that's something you, you would have to consider in the ACC tournament. If somebody goes three and a third innings, you can bring them in and they'll give they'll hopefully give you three or four innings and you don't have to burn your bullpen. That's something that you can't that is that is critical, I think, when you look at State's postseason chances. I I don't think they're ever going to – I mean, depth in college baseball is a huge thing, and I don't think that – I mean, that's probably the strength of this team, honestly, is the depth. And, that I mean, that's what you need. Well, and also I think that depth 
extends beyond just the mound and also goes into your field players as well. NC State does have a few options. The offense has never really been that big of a concern for this team. They are batting the ball well. And that's honestly been sort of the bread and butter of this team because there are so many consistent hitters. Not a lot of true power hitters, not a lot of true contact hitters, but guys that are building their batting average up at around the 300 to 350 mark. What kind of advantage does that give NC State as they're going to be playing against higher level competition down the stretch of ACC play? Well, it, it's a fun team to watch. I mean, one through nine, there's not an easy out. I want to say, I don't think anybody's hitting below 280 or something like that. I mean, it's one through nine. They're coming at you. And you can bring guys in off the bench. Xavier LeGrant can come in off the bench. Shane Shepard can come in off the bench and hit one out. You know, and so that's, like you said, it's the depth isn't just the strength of the pitching staff. It's the strength of the the lineup as well. And, you know, like you said, nobody's going to go out there and hit a three-run a three run dinger to win you the game. But, you know... You're going to have a couple guys. Everybody's going to get a hit. Somebody's, a couple guys are going to get two hits. It's, it's that kind of team. It's not a rely on one guy to hit one out and win you the game. But my question to you is, is that lack of a true power hitter concerning? Chance Shepard was going to be that guy at the designated hitter role this year, and he started off white hot, seven home runs in eight games, had a grand slam on the weekend, but for the most part has been in an awful slump where he has just not been producing the power type of hitting that you're looking at well like you said he started off I think he hit seven home runs in eight games and then he went through a stretch where it's it felt like he wasn't doing anything last week against Elon in a 23 to 3 win he hit two home runs hit one against Georgia hit a grand slam against Georgia Tech on Sunday and hit another one last night so I'm not, I'm not worried about chance any particular reason why, even though he's slumping, do you think he's about to come out of it? Well, he has. He just, I, like I said, he's hit four home runs in the last five, six games. And and that's what power hitters are going to do. Power hitters are going to go through slumps. They're going to hit four home runs in three games, and then they're going to disappear for eight games. It's just what they do. Now you hope that he can keep it up through, hopefully, in, well into May and June. But, I, I mean, they were. We, it was still successful. The lineup was still getting done what it needed to do, even when Shepard was struggling mightily for a couple of weeks. So similar to Ryan Matthews in, um, I want to say it was 2012, he just added another dimension to the lineup that was that was somewhat surprising, and you, you can live without it. But when you have it, it just takes the lineup to a whole other level. And, I mean, that's what, you, that's what you've seen in the last five, six games or so. But truth be told, how much can you bank on Chance Shepard being consistent and a power hitter going into postseason play? Because I personally, being a natural-born pessimist and a journalist, do not bank on that. And I think right. it's going to have to go back to the old standard, 90 feet at a time, single, maybe a double from a Preston Palmero type player. Exactly, but that's what I'm saying. They, it, they were still successful even when Shepard went through with three weeks without doing anything. So I, I'm not worried about it at all. Even if he's hitting... If he goes through a stretch where he hits, you know, one for 23 or something, they, they, the team was still successful even when he wasn't hitting home runs. That's, that's my point. Yeah. I, I think you're right in not being overly concerned. What I am concerned about personally, though, is if you continue to leave him in the DA troll and if he goes into a slump come postseason play, you're essentially giving a pop-out to somebody. It's not necessarily always the case. But you do have to be concerned when you've got a guy 
who is not playing the field very often, who hasn't been catching because Andrew Kisner's been back there, who's not going to play first. When you've got a guy whose sole job is to hit the ball, and he is so streaky in doing so, that's worrisome. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's streaky. Every, everybody's streaky. Baseball is a streak, is a sport of streaks, and we've seen that with, with State this year. I just... I'm not worried. I, like I said, they've they've proven that they can they can score runs without him, you know, hitting hitting a three run home run every game. So, it, you know, if he can if he can do that, like I said, I think that makes State and Omaha potential team a potential team that can go to Omaha where, in the College World Series. But even even if he's not, I st- I still think they can do. It. I mean, when you've got even okay, if Shepard is an automatic out every time, you've still got eight guys who can hit. You know, I mean, it's just, I, I don't know why you're so worried, honestly. I just, <laughs> I, I don't know. Fair enough. So let's step off of streakiness and let us dwindle and end this conversation eventually on the topic of consistency with the rest of this lineup. Because I think one of the major points of pride of Elliot Avent's roster is that one through nine, for the most part, You've got guys who are able to get on base. Preston Palmero, in your own words, has been a doubles machine at points. Joe Denand has all of a sudden found his bat once again, and he's been consistent. That's huge. Denand finding his bat is huge for this team. Agreed. And you've got the top of the lineup, Brock Dethridge, leading off. But the major hole that seems to be in the lineup right now is the center fielder, typically batting second, and that's Josh McClain, who left on the weekend with an apparent injury, and his status has not been fully updated yet. Of course, we will pass on the information as it becomes available to us, but if you've got arguably the fastest guy on your roster who's not only not in the field but not going to be able to be on the base paths, that is very concerning because you lose a major weapon in Josh McClain. Yeah, I mean, you you talk about being worried about Chance Shepard. Josh McClain is... Ten times more. Josh McLean's injury is ten times more worrisome than, I, I completely than Chance Shepard. And honestly, I like I said, I think we can survive in the lineup without McLean in the field. When he got pulled from the Georgia Tech game, Brock Dethridge did not impress in center field, to say the least. That is where the issue is. I don't know that this team can survive defensively without him in center field. He's that. You go from a very above average center fielder to a below-average center fielder, and it'll be tough. As as for his impact on the lineup, like you said, he's one of the fastest. I mean, he's probably almost Trey Turner fast. Can't hit like Trey, um, but he, like you said, he's he's fast. He adds a dimension to the lineup that nobody else does. I think the lineup can get by without him, but if, you know, he took x-rays on Monday, uh, they have not announced the results yet, but if... If it's season ending and which it potentially could be, that's it's a killer. I, I mean, I just that's something to worry about, honestly. Yeah, that's spot on analysis because while you do worry about Chance Shepard, at the end of the day, a bat is a bat. If you lose somebody like Josh McClain for an extended period of time, you are losing arguably one of the top three center fielders in all the ACC. Yeah, one of the top five fastest runners in all the ACC on the base paths, and oh yeah, by the way, he's a guy who finds a way to get on base, which is what NC State is thriving on right now, could be a major loss. Overall, though, they do have 
a home series coming up, or what is technically classified as a home series, against North Carolina A&T. They do not play at home on Saturday. They travel to Greensboro to Newbridge Bank Park to play the Aggies there. Return home on Monday to take on the East Carolina Pirates in that bookending series. That'll be the final time they face the Pirates in the regular season. And then you turn around and have a series against the Duke Blue Devils, a mediocre, middle-of-the-road ACC opponent. Realistically, with the roster and the pitching the way it stands now, if no changes are made, what's the best result you can hope out of those handful of games? Through the Duke series? Through the Duke series. Best-case scenario? I think State could go 6-1 and one through there. Um, Who you drop in the game to, Duke? Probably Duke, yeah. Maybe ECU. Um, th- this... I mean, where you look at state as right now, state is. Um, de- I don't want to say definitely, but if this season were to end right now, state would be a regional host and is bordering. Well, they would also be a national seed according to raw poll rankings because they're number eight right now. No, but it, it does. The committee does it, and you have Correct. to be. You have to be a top three. You essentially Correct. have to be a top three ACC team. So state would not be a national seed right now, but they are on the national seed bubble as as per se and and this is what's going to separate state if state can sweep a and t and beat ecu those are your last non-conference games that's it if you can win those four games that's what's going to separate you and avoid dropping a game like they did to ecu and i i believe we lost earlier in the year to uncw those are the games that separates the national seeds from the regional hosts well even look the loss to Old Dominion, the loss yep. to Indiana State. Mm-hmm. You're you're right. These non-conference games, while you would love to be able to brush them off and take them lightly, especially the A&T series. I mean, North Carolina A&T allowed 44 runs in a series against Florida A&M in yeah. a MEAC series, and they only allowed five runs against in a losing effort in one of those games. That sort of summarizes the yeah. series for the Aggies. They're not exactly a baseball powerhouse, but you've got to take all these games seriously when you put it in – the prospectus that, oh, you know, this may be for home field advantage until Omaha. Right, and and going two and two in a week like this, where you play ECU and A and T, that doesn't look good. You know, it it really doesn't. And obviously, you've got the three series at the end of the year, which we can talk about later. That those will be probably the difference maker as to whether State's a super regional host or not. But yeah, you, you'd really like to go three and one this week, so that means sweeping A and T. So, you know, we'll see what they can do. Pack 9 take the Diamond on Friday at home, Saturday on the road, Sunday and Monday at home. And then we'll host the Duke Blue Devils at the Doak. Well, let's step out the grass infield and onto the Dirt Diamond where the softball team has had a season that has been lackluster to say the least. Sean Reichick talked about primarily the importance of winning ACC series down the stretch. They have not had so much fortune in doing so. Going back, their last ACC win before this series against Syracuse was against Pittsburgh back on April 2nd. They had lost the other two games to Pittsburgh, dropped to Elon, got swept by Florida State, did defeat Campbell in a doubleheader, and finally got another ACC victory on Saturday at Syracuse in a doubleheader there. They lose the series eventually, though. Oddly enough, though, Ethan... NC State could have come away winning this Syracuse series. Two unearned runs in the loss on the back half of Saturday's doubleheader cost the state a W by a count of four, uh, five to four. But 
overall, is this team making progress, and is there any type of realistic hope to see them moving forward? I, I don't know. We we covered them earlier in the year, and they didn't look much better. Honestly, all I can say is at least they started winning the non-conference games, you know? Um, so that's nice to see. It's a young team. I want to say two seniors. Is that correct? Two sen- two starting seniors. Two starting seniors. So, you know, it's it's – it's a rebuilding year after after losing so much from last year. But, um, you know, three more series left. It'll be a stretch to get into the tournament, especially playing a ranked Notre Dame team on the road at the end of the year. You know, Boston College and Georgia Tech, they, I, I, I can't tell you the standings right now, but probably need to go 7-2 and two the rest of the way. Well, NC State was battling Just, with Syracuse for position, which made this road series so incredibly yeah. big in that second half of the doubleheader game equally as monumental almost. State is sitting about three games out on average, which means you've got to imagine at some point you need to sweep one of these series against either yeah. Boston College or Georgia Tech, and that's a tall task. Both of those are going to be fairly even matchups for NC State. It's not out of the realm of possibility for them to squeeze a couple of series wins off the Eagles and the Jackets, but you're going to need some help from Syracuse to be able to play in the ACC tournament that you're hosting here in Raleigh. Right. They just haven't given much to inspire. It's, they, I don't feel like they've gotten better over the course of the year. Um, they they can still hit a little bit, but in the circle, it it. It hasn't been great. And, and that's exactly where I was about to shift the conversation is all you've got to do is go about 50 feet away from home plate and talk about what's going on in the circle. Courtney Mirabella does not get credit for the victory on Saturday but gives you five solid innings. Harley Hubbard has to come in. But NC State is only working on three pitchers, two of whom are true underclassmen. Brittany Nimmo is a very young freshman who has come in has shown flashes of potential brilliance, but overall has been highly inconsistent. Harley Hubbard has not always had the best control over a high-velocity fastball. Courtney Mirabella has been asked to do a lot filling in for Emily Wyman, who graduated at the end of last year, and ultimately just quite simply has not been able to fill those shoes. How in the world are you fixing the pitching problem? I think you're just experienced growing pains. I mean, like you said... Uh, Mirabella is only a junior. The other two are are underclassmen, so they should all be back next year. It's it's just a rebuilding year, you know. I I don't know much else to say. Sometimes you gotta you have to go through years like this. There's a, every team does it, you know. Um, it's it's frustrating to see. You've got some great bats in lineup with Tyler Ross, Maggie Hawkins, who's a senior, and Molly Hutchison behind the plate, you know. But maybe they can string it together, it's especially like you said, having the tournament here in Raleigh. It's it's frustrating. It would be really frustrating to be on the outside looking in as a host. I mean, that's just something that you don't want to do. Well, and the other thing is NC State batting average-wise individually looks like they should have success. Tyler Ross is leading that charge with a 366 average, 14 home runs. Meredith Burroughs at 301 with 10 dingers. These are good hitting numbers, but ultimately when it's come down to playing in conference, they just haven't been able to hold up against better pitching. What is right now the major thing that is killing the offense? Because this is something going into the season you just didn't think was going to be an issue because this is such a 
power hitting team. This is such a team that is going to be able to move around the base paths with a fair amount of speed, and yet they've just had issues getting to first base. Yeah, I mean we're look, we're looking at the stats here: thirty four stolen bases, thirty four for forty, which is which is pretty good. Um, out more home runs, uh, out hitting the opponents in home runs, fifty eight to forty five. That's something you'd expect. I don't really think the offense has been the problem. I mean, I don't think they've been spectacular, but I don't think it's fair to place all the place all the. I mean, obviously you expected them to carry you this year, and they haven't done that. But I just don't think you can sit here and say the the lineup hasn't been very good. I agree. You cannot place it all on the offense. But I think that they just can't escape the fact that they have 278 team strikeouts. Meanwhile, opponents are striking out just over 220. It seems like NC State is either hitting the ball out of the park or they're K-ing. And well, when you have that disparity, that's just not a good issue to have. We're also looking at here, opponents have walked 223 times and have struck out 222 times. That's the problem. You can't walk more than you strike out. You you can't do it. So I, I don't have a problem with the lineup. Like I said, it's it's good. It's not great. But the pitching staff is – Well, they're, you, they're growing, I guess. That's that's a nice way to put it. Well, and you, you talk about the walk issue and getting – a free 60-foot ride hasn't always been easy for NC State because they're an aggressive team. This is a statistic that amazes me. Hannah Summer has the single largest strike zone on the team. And yet she leads the team in walks. That makes no sense. It seems like there's no patience at the plate right now. Is that because... Pitchers are hitting the strike zone and are throwing earlier strikes compared to what NC State's seeing in practice, or is this just a matter of you got to be willing to keep the bat on the shoulder and not offer at so many first pitches? I mean, yeah, that, that could be it, but I just, I, I think they're just overdoing it. Honestly, I think they got off to a rough start. Well, actually, I take that back. It wasn't a terrible start playing who the, playing the teams they were. No, playing. they were they were hovering right around five hundred, and then. Took off and, and pl- playing good over team, 500? playing exactly. good teams too, and then you know the games we did at the RDU tournaments. That's that seems to be where it really went downhill, and they just they were they were pressing. They lost games they shouldn't have lost, and they began to press, and they they just got over anxious, and it it hasn't stopped since then. It appears. And you're right. This softball team it did sort of fall apart for them once they got into their hosting tournament play before they headed into the ACC season. And you wonder, did losing games to teams like IUPUI and Bryant, were those confidence effectors? I think the obvious answer is yes, yes but eventually you got to be able to break that. you got to realize that while those games are nice to win, it's got to be more important to win your games in conference to seat yourself well for the ACC tournament because ultimately those games are what's going to be able to play you into the postseason. And right now, NC State is just trying to play to be able to make it into the ACC tournament. Right. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's confidence. Those games, I believe they played one ACC series to that point against Virginia Tech maybe. And won that, by the way. Won that series. And then losing to... The one that sticks out in my mind is the Bryant game. Bryant was 0-20. You were Bryant's first win. That's just... That's a, that's a killer. I mean, 
for your confidence to lose to a team like that after going to the Super Regionals in Oregon last year. That, that's what it is. It's 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 inexperience and it's confidence and it's a growing year. Hopefully they can gain gain some experience this year as we see and gain some confidence and be back and be better next year with a lot of seniors. NC State will head back out to Dale Softball Stadium to take on the Boston College Eagles. First pitches on Saturday at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. for the doubleheader, 12 p.m. start time for the Sunday Game 3. That's going to wrap up our discussion for the Diamond Sports. I do want to get a quick little input about the football schedule before we get into talking about some pro sports. NC State announced via press release earlier in the week that they will be playing series against Texas Tech, Vanderbilt, Connecticut, and they will be hosting VMI. Uh, Not necessarily the Cadets, but the Huskies, the Commodores, and the Red Raiders coming to Raleigh and then having to go to their respective homes certainly seems like it's a step forward in non-conference scheduling for this football team. Yeah, it definitely is, and that's something that Dave Doran has harped on since he got here. The I'll call it an unfortunate non-conference schedule that we've seen the last couple of years was not really his doing, um, but he's he's doing his part, and and Debbie, I was doing hers as well to not let that happen again. But it's just so far down the road. Who knows who's going to be here? I think we saw that the quarter the quarterback for that team is six to eight years old right now. That's right for that twenty twenty seven game in Lubbock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if so. you're in kindergarten or first grade out there right now, you too could become an NC State starting quarterback. Yeah, I, I just can't. I just can't get excited. It's nice to see them scheduling, you know, Power Five teams, but I mean, who even knows what college football is going to look like then? You know, so it's 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 nice to see, but it's. I don't know. It's a long ways away. Well, and it is a sobering dose of reality that you bring into the conversation here. It is a step forward for NC State. And the non-conference scheduling is getting there because NC State is going to kick off the season with South Carolina, not this coming season, but the Mm -hmm. season after. And then you've also got the Notre Dame series, home this year, road next year with them. And then you're going to have a home-and-home with Mississippi State. So it's on the way, and it's coming in the foreseeable future. This is just a building block to continue to get better teams coming to Raleigh. And I think it proves that Debbie Yao and the rest of this football staff has confidence in Dave Dorn and this program that they're going to be able to be competitive against teams who are playing in great football conferences like the Big 12 and the SEC. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's so far away. I'll be surprised if Dave Dorn is even still here. But, um, you know, that, that we'll cross that road when we get to it. But, like you said, it's it's nice to schedule those teams. But, honestly, these games may not even happen. Because, if I remember correctly, didn't we have LSU on the schedule at some point? And LSU canceled the series I, 2019 and 2020. Exactly. So, you know... Who knows what's going to happen with these schedules? These games may not even happen. They probably won't even happen. But it, it is nice to see us playing teams from Texas who are going to have a lot of Texas high school. I mean, they're they're going to be good teams. Well, and the other thing is, NC State had played a series against Texas Tech as well. That was back in the Philip Rivers days. Good and ball UConn. game. UConn. Good UConn uh, more recently as right. well because uh, Tom O'Brien won in his final season against UConn ten to seven. Highly entertaining football game. I want to say it was 2003. I was watching the highlights on YouTube. Uh, 2003 was a great series. Texas Tech State. and Ohio State. Yeah, and State, maybe it wasn't 2003 then, beat UConn on a, a pick six with five seconds left. 
So some some close games there. Maybe they'll be able to have some more close games in 400 years and or whenever these Bryant games take Sheriffs, place. the current starting quarterback for UConn, began his collegiate football career at NC State. Of course, he will be long, long <laughs> gone so. by the time NC State will be going to stores. So that will wrap it up for our collegiate uh, sports conversation. And with our final few minutes here, it is one of my personal favorite times of the sports year because you're in this rare position where you've got not one playoff season but two playoff seasons coming around. And let's start on the hardwood as the NBA playoffs have turned around. There wasn't a whole lot of niceties to say about college basketball this year. But in the pro ranks, it could be a very interesting season. The Golden State Warriors continue to roll. The Oklahoma City Thunder played a great first game against Dallas and then coughed up a loss to the Mavericks. The Hawks and the Celtics providing a good series. General thoughts about what's going on in the hardwoods? Um, I would disagree. That What did you say has been exciting? A good series. Good? Nothing about nothing about the first round of the playoffs. You have There's to understand, to listening point. at home, that in this case, the young man okay, called Ethan Barry yes. bleeds green. I, I am a Celtics fan, but I'm, I'm saying that the series hasn't been good. Like, the games were not exciting, really. You know, I mean, what the most exciting game was the Mavericks and Thunder game, too. And yeah, and every other game has been a 25-point blow. Well, and that's just the first round of the NBA playoffs. By the way, the North Carolina interest here is that the Charlotte Hornets are locked in a series with the Miami Heat. They lost tonight. They lost by 12. Well... And there were a lot of people who thought the Hornets could find a way to win this series. Yeah. It's going to be tough for them, especially now that you're in the hole. But, I mean, the Heat. The it's heat. the first round of the NBA playoffs. Not going to be a whole lot of upsets that happen. No, you're exactly right. And the, but my problem is the games haven't even been close. I mean, there's, there's nothing to watch. Well, I mean, do you think there's somebody out there who could beat the Warriors consistently? Do you no, think I there's don't. somebody out there who could but beat I them four out of seven? You took the best pl- – Steph Curry did not even play in game two, and they won by 15 points. I mean, he probably won't even play the rest of the series because they don't need him. They could go four on five without Steph Curry and still well, win and, that series. And you're getting into a critique of the NBA that I think there are a lot of fans, especially collegiate basketball fans coming from collegiate basketball states, are saying it's not that much of a game anymore when you're just standing and shooting around and – it's all about who misses less. Well, I don't care. The Warriors shoot, and they are the most fun sports team I've ever laid eyes on. They are so much fun to watch. And I, I don't know. I, the ball movement, I mean, you look at the Spurs and the Warriors, two best teams in the league. Yes, they shoot, but watch them move the ball. You know, Watch them play as a team. Watch them watch, look at their chemistry. I, I, I think that's... That's pretty entertaining. And then you've got Westbrook and Durant on the Thunder, who are a lot of fun to watch as individual players. Those are probably the three best teams in the league. Maybe maybe you want to put the Cavaliers in there. I don't know. But I would disagree that it's just a, who sh- who shoots less it's or who shoots worse. It's still a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I don't think anybody's beating the Warriors. But. All right, so to wrap up this conversation... Golden State Warriors versus the other 15 teams in the field. Obviously, they're not going to play them all, but is there anybody in the playoffs that could beat these guys four out of seven? Uh, I mean, theoretically, yeah, somebody could beat them. Do you see it happening? No. Neither do I. I mean... The Spurs are going to give them a run for their money. I think I that series think, is going I six. So. I think that series is going six. But I don't think so. I don't think the Warriors are losing in Oakland. 
and I think they can win one in San Antonio. What about the Cavaliers? Could be another rematch of the finals. That That is interesting. Although the Cavaliers, they are a reality TV show this year. <laughs> Aren't they, though? So I, I don't know. We'll see how that affects them come playoff time. Or once they start playing teams that are not the Pistons. Um, so we'll we'll see. I think the Cavaliers can. I mean, we saw them last year give them go six games without Kyrie Irving. and Ke- Was it six games? Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love? They did go six games. Um Maybe because they have LeBron James, but even then, I they have who? LeBron James. LeBron James. <laughs> even then, I still don't. I I just don't think they can. I think those. Uh, I'll go off on a little tangent here, a quick one. They lost those two players, and they ch- completely changed the style of of how they had to play because they could not keep up with the Warriors without those two. I think if they had Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, the Warriors would have beat them in five, maybe even four. But because of the way they had to play. They had to completely change the style, and that's what helped them win two games in that series. That's interesting, and you're not off base by saying that either because also by changing your game plan, you change the defensive strategy of the Warriors, and they lost a couple games. But that is going to end it for the hardwoods, and now let's step onto the frozen water for our very final few minutes here on the Howler. It has been a long time since we've talked about hockey, and we sort of left off with a little bit of heartbreak after NC State dropped uh, the ACCHL championship to game to George Washington 8-7 to back in February. But while the Hurricanes are in the playoffs, there is certainly a lot of good hockey going on right now. Three and four games every night in the NHL playoffs. Most of them have been entertaining. Not so many overtime games yeah. this year. Sort of the storyline has been awkward bounces, strange goals, just odd happenings in general. But in this almost first complete week of the NHL playoffs, what have you thought so far? It's been fun. Like you said, not a lot of overtimes, um, which I remember last year. Didn't they go to overtime like every single Last year night? and the year before's playoffs, it set the record for most first-round playoff overtime yeah. games. Yeah, I mean, it was insane. I, have we se- I think we've seen one or two, three overtimes this year, so not as exciting. Um, but, yeah, hockey, hockey's been good. Um, I think, at least in the East, um, the better teams have won to this point. I think the Capitals were up three to zero in the series. Not sure how they did tonight. I know they were losing, but in the West, on the other hand, it's kind of been a little bit of a topsy turvy. Yeah, a little brouhaha going on. And um, the Ducks were the top seed, I believe. They're losing their series. Well, and they the they Sharks got a critical are beating the win Kings. last night. Um, who was the other top seed in the West? Well, the Blues are taking care of the Blackhawks the surprisingly because. That was a series the Blackhawks and the Blues have just laid goose eggs in the playoffs recently. Yeah. The Blackhawks are accustomed to winning in the playoffs. And not only doing that, winning Stanley Cups in the playoffs. Right. And they're just not doing it this year. Corey Crawford came in a move extremely out of character for him. Actually was over-tackling Maxime Piarvi in Game 3 of that series. Game 4, excuse me, that the Blues went on to win 3-1. to one. The Capitals were struggling against the Flyers once they put Michael Neuberth in net. You've got Frederick Anderson who comes in for Anaheim and outplays Pecorine as well. This is a goaltending type of playoffs right now. That's been the storyline. Goaltenders who have not played well have been riding the pine. And when coaches have made that shift, I mean, it seems like it's locking into auto- almost an automatic win situation. The only goaltending switches that we haven't seen is in that San Jose-LA series. And by the way, 
the Kings are surviving right now virtue yeah. of an overtime win by Tanner Pearson as he beat Martin Jones. But this goaltending situation, we're starting to see a shift from one guy in the playoffs to this whole tandem of goaltenders. Who do you think has the best tandem in the NHL and is going to be most capable of putting the best goaltenders out there? Honestly, couldn't tell you. But I will tell you that I will not bet against the Kings or the Blackhawks. Even though they're losing their series. Even though they're losing the series. A couple years ago, the Kings were down 3-0 in the first round, and they came back and won. To the Sharks! Okay, so exactly my point. No, I, I don't know enough about both goalies, but I do know, as a um, very, I don't know how to describe it, um, fair weather hockey fan, I guess? Casual. Casual, there you go. Casual hockey fan. I can tell you that the hot goalie wins the Stanley Cup playoffs. Almost every year, you don't win the Stanley Cup without a goalie that's playing well. So whatever, I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna win games in the Stanley Cup five to four. It's it's just not gonna happen. So whichever team has the hot goalie, I don't know. You ask me. I honestly have no clue. Well, so I'll what, defer to you. As when I look at it, this expert. is this is my thing with goaltending. The Capitals have Braden Holtby. Braden Holtby's one guy. Yeah. Who, and if he goes down, or if his game really starts to mm-hmm. fall off. If you put Philip Grubauer in net, you're just not looking at a pretty situation. And that's with a stacked offense with T.J. Oshie, Nicholas Backstrom, Alexander Ovechkin. Jonathan Quick's the same way. You you don't want to put in anybody backing him up. You don't want to put Auntie Ranta in for Henrik Lundqvist, even though that had to have happened in Game 1 of that series that had put the Rangers at a total disadvantage because of the eye injury to Lundqvist. When you're looking at goaltending tandems that are producing right now, it's Anderson and Gibson in Anaheim. In the East, Marc-Andre Fleury's the guy. Henrik Lundqvist is the guy. Holpe's the guy. Steve Mason just got pulled by Philadelphia tonight to put in Michael Neubert. But Neubert being a backup, you're not going to see him play a lot. And oh, by the way, Philadelphia is down 3 nothing, now just making that 3-1 to with a win tonight. That's, that's a situation all into itself. The Western Conference has the goaltending tandems. Crawford, Darling, Anderson, Gibson. But here's my thing. Jones, we, Niemi. We were talking about this yesterday. I asked you how often backup goalies play in the playoffs, and you said not very often, barring they, uh, uh, a crappy performance from the starter or an injury, obviously. So I don't know why you're so worried about the tandems. If Braden Holtby, or I guess we can't really use Lundqvist as an example because he's hurt, but... Well, if, and he, he did come Holtby, back and play, but, okay. I mean, you're... you're but Holtby, or Flair, on you're going to ride... No intended. <laughs> you're going to ride the guy the whole playoff, so I don't see why it's important to have two goals Because... If your backup comes in and delivers a key performance, he becomes the starter automatically. But he's not gonna. But he's not gonna come in if your starter's playing well. That's the thing. Well, agreed. But when you've got that good backup option, when you've got the opportunity, ex- Anaheim is the perfect example here. When you've got John Gibson, who has been hot all regular season, and all of a sudden you lose two games, not necessarily because Gibby's played poorly but because you need to find a way to fire up your team and you've got a good option there that can get you a win in Frederick Anderson and you throw him in and he's brilliant automatically, Anderson's going to get the start tomorrow in Game 4. And if he's brilliant again, then you've got that hot goaltender. Isn't and what, it's about switching it up. That's exactly what Cam Ward and Martin Gerber did in 06. I was just going to say that. In 2006, isn't that not what happened? I can't remember who was the backup. Gerby? 
No, Martin Gerber was the starter. Gerber. Ward was the backup, but Gerber had to come back in and play in that Buffalo series and delivered a critical shutout in Game 4 that ultimately gave the Hurricanes the momentum coming back home for Game 5. Yeah, I mean, that was, Cam, from what I remember, I was, I was like three years old, but Ward took the, took, took the starting goalie position, like you said. I can't remember if Gerber lost the first, was did he lose? Gerber the, lost the first two games, 6-1, and... Came into the game, game two, and lost three to nothing. Exactly. Ward and gets they, put in, they put and they still lost six to five. But Ward comes back and wins a couple games in Montreal, and then goes on to win the Conn Smythe. So there you go. The hot goalie, obviously, that's that was a tandem like you were talking about. But I, I still think it's the hot goalie. I'm, I mean, you're the resident hockey expert, but and the resident goaltender. Okay, well, there you go. But I, uh, give me the hot goalie over a da- ta- tandem every day of the week. Give me the tandem. Okay. Because I know I have a backup option. That's fine. So, that being said, still way too early, but you've seen the series. Who's winning the Stanley Cup? Um, you think the Kings-Blackhawks. See, I don't think it's smart to bet against the Kings or the Blackhawks. You think that there's their little run I think of going bo- back and forth. I think they're both losing in the first round. Okay. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. okay. You still didn't answer the question. I th- <laughs> Oh, uh, silence is not an answer. Anaheim? Can I do Anaheim? Yeah, I think Anaheim's a legitimate contender. They've got the tandem goalkeepers. They also have a solid offense up front. You've got Ryan Getzlaff. You've got Corey Perry as well. You've got you've got a lot of good guys that you can build off of, and you've got a solid defense back with Cogliano and guys like that. Not to mention Ricard Raquel has also come in. And it started playing well as of recently, so that's also an exciting addition. In the East, I do think you have to look at the Washington Capitals as a serious contender. We Even, say that every year, though. I mean, at what point? Well, do... no, because this time they made the proper offseason moves. They acquired T.J. Oshie. They've got Nicholas Backstrom and Reading Tim, and they've got Alexander Ovechkin. The, the pieces are in place this year, and it's hard to go against the President's Trophy winner. And the yeah. way they've been running through the Flyers until they hit the roadblock in Michael Neuvert today... They have really been rolling in this series, and especially if they're going to find a way to be able to avoid the Rangers, if the Penguins are able to beat them in their series, it may be a path for the Washington Capitals at least to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, no doubt. The Capitals are a team that you got to watch out for, a team that good, even though they failed in the playoffs time and time again. You know, they're that good, so you gotta you got to respect them. Well, Ethan Barry, we have exceeded our time here on the Howler. It has been an absolute blast having you on. I'm so glad you could join us. It's been fun. Thank you for having me. Hope to be here again soon. Hopefully you don't. I'm sure you will be. We would like to extend an invitation to be sure to listen to next week's episode as it will be the final episode with our senior, Chris Lehman. We'll be giving him a hearty send-off, and we hope that you will join us for that. It might very well be the final episode of this first season that has been incredibly successful. Again, thanks to Ethan Berry, Nick Sinopoli, Chris Lehman, and Coach Sykes from the NC State men's golf team. You have just been given the state of Wolfpack Athletics. I'm Drew Blevins. We hope to see you next time on The Howler. Thanks for listening to The Howler, a service of Wolfpack Sports Television. Find out more at go.ncsu.edu sports. The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company, handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com.